Hello all, and welcome to our first podcast. My name is Bill Evans. I'm Jessica Wellman. And I'm John Turner. Coming up on the very first episode of our show, we will be discussing our top 10 list for 2019, along with discussing the upcoming Oscars and our picks for a lot of special awards. Uh, we're going to do best scene, best musical moment, best ending, many more. I think we can all agree 2019 was an incredible year for film. No. But before we get into that, uh, we should at least introduce ourselves and provide a little background about our obsessions with film. Where did it all begin and where we'd like to take it from here? Um, well, I'll go ahead and start and say I was obsessed with movies and television from a very young age. There was always the TV was on and I was watching something. And along about the time I was 13 or 14, I had been in performing arts schools and magnet programs, and I really just kind of started saying, I think this is what I want to do for a living. And so I applied and very fortunately got into USC film school, which is generally regarded as the best one, if I do say so myself. So I went there for cinema television critical studies. I thought I was going to become some hotshot producer. And then I started working in Hollywood and I hated it. If you've seen Swimming with Sharks or Devil Wears Prada, it's not funny or amusing for me to watch this mo those movies like PTSD of what it's like to be an assistant. So I quit. And I was like, maybe I'll be a film professor. And so I went to grad school at Indiana and got a film degree there. And... At the same time, I kind of got into poker reporting, which is a much longer story for another day. But that seemed more interesting than going and getting a PhD and working at that for seven years. So I went from going to be an insider to going to be an academic to being the film wannabe and that I am today. Bo, how did you come about it? Well, unlike Jessica or John over here, they have three technical degrees between them. Jess has two and John has a minor in film. I took one film class in college. I think it was like intro to film and like I was telling them, all I remember from that basically was panning and tilting, which <laughs> is like the absolute basics of film, at least when you're talking about cinematography. Uh, I grew up with two much older brothers um, from marriages from both my parents before my parents got married, so two half-brothers. They're each about 10 years older than me. Uh, so I started watching a lot of things that most kids probably didn't start watching a much younger in life. Uh, like I was saying that I remember watching Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator cut out his eye with a scalpel <laughs> when I was probably around five or six. Uh, and also in T2 when he cuts off like his entire arm and like you can see his like his uh cyborg titanium endoskeleton like uh most of the stuff would be terrifying for most kids but like i to this day like i just watch horror movies and i still don't get terrified like and i love all film all all television like i like just just like jessica i've always been in front of a tv just appreciating the art of cinema and anything that has to do with video uh, entertainment. How about you, John? Well, I know, I know we're all from the South. Um, I was born and raised in North Carolina with uh, under fairly uh, conservative Christian parents, and basically I just didn't see that many movies growing up. So quite different here. Uh, I, was, I was considered sheltered, I would say, but not, not to some extreme extent. But anyway, this is partly why uh, I was able to get into them on my own once I was. I became obsessed. Uh, they offered a whole new world to me. 
I worked in video stores and in Circuit City from when I was about 16 to 21. And frankly, I was that guy who would work a five-hour shift, take home four to five DVDs, and do nothing but hang out by myself, watching them for the next day or two. Of course, I wasn't really getting uh, much of a film education. I was mostly just catching up with mainstream material, especially R-rated films that I could hide away in my room and watch behind my parents' back. Uh, but occasionally a different film with like promises of a new world that I was, I was way too naive uh, to discover by, by that point. They would just sneak in and, and like it would seem like I was discovering myself. Things like Todd Salon's Happiness when I was like 16 or 17 immediately springs to mind. Just a, just a tiny little independent film that you know, my friends certainly never heard of or had no interest in, but, but it opened up a new world to me. I dabbled a little bit in writing reviews online, and I logged everything I ever watched on IMDb. On IMDb, I'm very, uh, very meticulous and nerdy when it comes to that kind of stuff. So in 2000, I went to State, NC State, and got a minor in film. And uh, by that point, I was starting to become more of a cinephile, seeing a lot more foreign and classic films. Uh, discovered Hitchcock and Kubrick, quickly became quickly became my favorite directors. I mean, they're just, that's for, for material back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, well, for Hitchcock and then 60s, 70s for Kubrick. I mean, it just seemed like it was, it was just totally inventive opening new worlds and, and very different from the cinema that I'd seen from that era before them. Uh, anyway, looking back, my cinephilia was still in its infancy. I planned to further my education in film, but around this time, I also discovered poker. So uh, that became my focus in life, and it's been my career for about 16 years. I moved to Las Vegas, but eventually, due to the government banning the poker online, I found myself spending long periods outside the U.S., and because of that, I got around to attending one of the world's biggest film festivals, TIFF, uh, in Toronto, off and on in recent years. And nowadays, between keeping up with the industry through various means, using the Letterbox app day in, day out, and of course, just watching so many films from around the world, I have to say I'm fully obsessed. And by the way, we are all on Letterboxd and would love to be friends with you guys. I think everyone is just their name on Letterboxd, yes. right? Uh, so. John Turner, 18. Oh, okay. Bo Evans, B-E-A-U. Yeah, and Jessica Wellman, 1 Alan Wellman. But yeah, follow us on there. Talk to us about stuff. That would be awesome. And I mean, I think that's why we're here doing a podcast is we love talking about movies and there just wasn't necessarily a space in our lives where it was happening enough and... Now the three of us are here together to regularly get together and kind of have more in-depth conversations about films than you do at a cocktail party or the poker table. Yeah, and I love writing about them and, <laughs> on Letterboxd and all and just and reading other people's opinions and trying to get to know some other, like maybe you could say aspiring critics of some sort or just, just yeah. people who are really into it. And But, you know, there's only so much you can do and try to connect social media that way. But And just to watch each other's recommendations. I mean... Both of them have each watched about double the amount of films that I've watched, so they're going to be able to recommend a lot more to me than I will to them, but there are still films that I have seen that they haven't that I thought were very good and I will be recommending. That's the whole reason we're doing this, Bo, is to further your film education. It's, we wanted to call it Helping Bo, but we felt like that was too on the nose. Put that in the list for votes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be looking into a title for the show yet uh, in, in the future, and maybe we'll throw it out to you and find out what the viewers want, uh, throw out a few options, and even uh, take suggestions. But I think Helping Bo right now might be our number one. <laughs> but in the meantime, I think we're about ready to start giving suggestions, right? Um, yes. Our whole idea, we'll be talking about more sp specific films going on, but being the beginning of the year, it seemed appropriate to do our top ten. 
All right, now, before we dive into these films, just to clarify, we're going to break this up into two episodes. So first, you're going to hear all our thoughts on our numbers 10 through 6, and then in episode 2, we'll come back and do number 5 all the way down to our top film of the year. Yeah, let's look back at one of the best years of film ever. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't even keep a straight face when people say that. I don't know what, what planet you're living on, Jess, when you've seen most of these Almost everything that's been highly recommended, and anyway, at least you came up with ten. Yes, I'm I did come up with ten, but my to start with my number ten, I can it'll it'll give you the context of how hard it was for me to find ten movies I was comfortable recommending to people. It is my third favorite Toy Story movie, uh, Toy Story Four. I was pleasantly surprised by the you know I think when we heard there was a fourth one, people were like, "Weren't we done?" Oh yeah. Yeah. And instead, they bring this story to the table, and the thing that Pixar does best is brings a lot of adult themes to a children's story. And me, especially being kind of an unmarried single person, just thinking about what it is to be an adult and what makes life important, and the themes that were approached in Toy Story 4 were so fascinating to me that it stuck with me more than other animated films do. Yeah, well, it's it's definitely a step down uh, for me compared to the rest of the series, but I still really enjoyed it. It's probably going to be one of my honorable mentions. Um, I think it has plenty of humor and heart, just like all the best Pixar films. And, I mean, I got no complaints. I'm a fan of Forky. <laughs> I mean, the film was oh, for Forky. Sure. That's... Oh, we'll be talking about Forky later. <laughs> Forky made is one of my other mentions. <laughs> because, I mean, just how, who has, like an extended scene of existential crisis in an animated film. And that's what makes it so fun. But I also just as someone who, if you are a person who ever had to go to antique stores with your mom growing up, Hmm. they nail antique stores so well that that animation was so rich and fun Mm -hmm. that I'm really excited to go back and kind of revisit all the little nuggets in the background. All right. I had a tough time coming up with 10, Bo. Maybe you had an easier time compiling your list. Uh, I, did I believe much more than you? Uh, I, I think John and I both enjoyed 2019 a lot more than you. I don't think Absolutely. you've kept that much of a secret, which is fine. Uh, but for my number 10, I have Dark Waters. It is a legal drama, courtroom drama, whatever you want to call it, uh, about the Teflon scandal that happened in the late 90s in West Virginia. It's about a uh, an attorney that works for a major um, defense firm that decides to sue DuPont over this this um, scandal. Yeah, it's not just any attorney, by the way. It's Mark Ruffalo. I mean, <laughs> Mark Ruffalo can play anybody. I know. I Him alone was what sold me on this movie to go and see it in the first place. But then you find out that Todd Haynes directed it, and it's very different from kind of the melodramas that Todd Haynes Absolutely. Does. Uh, I had Dark Water a little higher. Um, I had it as three on mine because it was... quite high. Yes. I thought it was exceptional. I think I was the one who made you watch it, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I wanted to see it in the first place, but uh, you definitely did spark an interest, more of an interest for me to go watch it. Uh, This was my first film that I'd ever seen by Todd Haynes, and I truly enjoyed it. I really liked it, obviously. I mean, it's it's number ten, but... (laughs) Bo's education it's on my list. definitely needs yeah. to in, 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 uh, include Carol. Yeah, and, uh, Carol. Safe. Yeah. Safe. So, I'm not there. Uh, yeah. I'm not there. I'm Wonderstruck. There, yeah. 
I know John <clears throat> felt this way about a particular performance that I also thought was one of the best performances I saw of the year. So I'm curious your thoughts, Bo, on Bill Camp, who plays the friend of Mark Ruffalo's grandma that kind of starts this oh, whole the thing. Farmer. The okay, farmer. The yeah, farmer, yeah. I thought, yeah, his, his performance was fantastic. Because um, we're I'm, all I'm, Southern people, and so it's like I get prickly about how Southerners are portrayed, and I was like, this is good. Are you saying that from the They're not always portrayed in the best light? I mean, imagine that. They're they're sometimes slack-jawed yokels. He's not from the South, right? I'm not sure where he's from, but I just... Virginia. I think we're considering this. No, no, no. In real life. I'm talking about the actor. In real life. Oh, oh, Mark Ruffalo. I don't know where Mark... No, where Bill Bill Camp is from. I'm not sure, but I believe he's from West Virginia after Uh, watching this movie. Like, I I buy in. Yeah, I did. I thought his accent in this movie was much better than... Uh, 007's accent and Knives oh, Out. Oh, Knives Out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's a bit comical. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a worst accent category in yeah. our next section. We should have. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I really loved this movie. But it was also yeah. because I think... Something that's a little different is... I'm from the area where the attorney lives. And it's this this Catholic population of very like rural working class people. And the way they nailed how Anne Hathaway looked. And how the church masses felt i was just weird to say i was homesick during the teflon scandal movie but that is i think might be why it ranked so much higher for me than for you okay so you grew up uh hearing about this all the time back back in i mean i didn't hear i didn't hear about it as a kid but i mean my mom cooked all the time and everything so when we found out teflon was terrible for you it was something that very much was on my radar more than than you two my mom was cooking all the time too i just had no idea what she was doing in there but (laughs) that's just me uh let's see john what do you have for your number 10 well, my number 10 is uh, Lulu Wang's sort of autobiographical story. Uh, it's Aquafina basically plays Lulu, and she finds out that, that uh, her grandma is dying back in China. Aquafina's living in America. But, so it's, kinda, it's set a little bit in America, mostly in China, but it's, it's a good mix of, mix of culture, and you kind of see how that all, all plays out uh, just, just in a very, just in a fascinating way that you don't, that you don't get into many films. But anyway, so her grandma's dying, uh, the whole family goes to kind of take care of her, console under her. Under the guise but, of a wedding. Yeah, it's yes. under the guise of a wedding because, <laughs> hey, we can't tell grandma she's dying. This is, this is I don't want to say tradition, but, it, but it's a little bit of a common practice over in China, evidently, that I had yeah. no idea about. And it's, it's handled beautifully in the film. Well, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's was, a good mix of comedy and drama. And I was honestly looking forward to emotional. this film. I don't know why I was like drawn to this film for some reason. I'm not going to get into the death thing. But uh, I was really looking forward to it. And it was actually a very nice feeling to not be disappointed by a film that you've been looking forward to, which happens, I think, more than a lot of us would like. Especially for you. (laughs) I've noted that. (laughs) You know, I kind of came to it a little later. I had it um, very similar to you. It's my number nine. And it is Bo's number nine as well. We all were in sync on, on The Farewell. I really, I liked the performances. I liked the tone. I just liked kind of, as someone who has lost their parents, thinking about grief in a different way is something that is kind of challenging to for me. You know, yeah. like I've thought about grief a lot of different ways. And this one did get me because it's, let's not tell her. To hear right. kind of the argument for it was so fascinating and interesting to me yeah. that that piece yeah. of it really drew me in. Yeah, I expected that to be just just a comedic aspect that I was not really going to be on board with or whatever, but... But as you're, as you're really drawn into the family and, yeah. and just the proceedings, it becomes, I mean, you understand why they do it and, and you 
you definitely yeah. can see things from from new perspectives, and which and is always a great thing to say. I saw, it was I thought it was fantastic to see the struggle of the decision of the family versus like what a couple of the family members wanted to do opposite of what everybody else wanted to do. Just to see that internal struggle, like you didn't really. It wasn't vocalized a whole lot. I mean, it was, but like you could see the internal struggle and the people that didn't want to keep this thing in the tradition that it was. Without, um, I yeah. will caution, like it's in the comedy category for the Golden Globes, and I, I kept being like, I thought it was funny, and, <laughs> and then it never really got all that funny for me. Like yeah. it's great, but don't go into it thinking it's going to be some knee slapper. Yeah, good point. Absolutely, there's definitely some good comedic moments, but but overall, this is a hard hitting, or fairly hard hitting, but mostly just emotional, just drama that that can really can really play at your heart and. You know, there's some good surprises in there too that we won't get into, but but I think it's definitely one that maybe it's not on everybody's radar, but they should really check out. Now, John, your number nine film is a pretty emotional one too, isn't it? Uh, yes, I may have shed a few tears in the theater this year on Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, Meryl Heller's third film. Uh, she is is definitely one of these main examples. Uh, she directed Can You Ever Can You Ever Forgive Me and The Diary of a Teenage Girl in the last few years, but. And I enjoy both of those, but A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood really, she really comes into her own. She, uh, she has Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers, and I mean, and it's you, you can't, it is. you can't do any better <laughs> than that. It's so perfect. He does a fantastic job. Of, I mean, it is, it's perfect, like you said. I a- mean, absolutely. But yeah. but he and and of course he's not for best supporting actor for this, which is very very well deserved. Yes. Uh, but it's actually not really his film because he is the supporting actor. It's it's yeah. a film. It's more about. Uh, Matthew Reese's well, Matthew Reese plays plays a reporter, and he's just just uh, he's doing he's a piece. Do, yeah, he's doing he's, he's doing supposed to do four hundred words, which if you're a writer is like a sneeze. It's it's hardly any sentence. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's he's ready to sneeze at this job. He doesn't like the idea. He doesn't like. He, it's just not his uh, in his nature. He's like Mister Rogers. I'm like, yeah. like why why would you send me to like. This is just, this is not what I do. He's know? more to like gotcha journalism. Yeah, and yeah. so I mean, it's 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 fairly predictable in a lot of in a lot of senses. But at the same time, man, I mean, she really knows how to hit these emotional notes, just just yeah. beautifully. And 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 this is one of my uh, most impressively directed films this year, in my opinion. Just just the way that the way that she's able to take the sets, uh, just use the different set design and kind of in kind of a meta way. Yeah. Um, um, by turning this whole film into an episode of mm-hmm. of uh, what's the Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. I, I never I never watched this growing up. Maybe um, you guys wow. did, but yeah. See, I never so did. This was my number six. I didn't watch him a ton, but as a teenager, I became just like really into the idea of Mr. Rogers. Partially because like I dressed like a little alterna kid in my cardigans and things <laughs> like that, but. Um, what I loved about this, which is surprising for me, I normally don't love it when there's just like these very bold cinematic choices. I feel like if you're going to do something stylistically kind of crazy, you really have to sell me that it, it makes the story better. And here, all these little details and the fact that this is constructed like an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood helps to tell this story so much better. Absolutely. And it's earned. And that's why I appreciated it so much. And see, again, um, we're talking about dying still. This is another film about a person coming to terms yeah. with an important death. And um, again, because of personal experiences and because, you know, just Mr. Rogers is an amazing, fascinating person, I 
ugly cried in this movie for like substantial chunks of it. I was like, I need to go to therapy when this movie is over. I need to talk it through with people. I am shooketh at what happened. And so that's why I think it was a little bit higher on my list than it was for you. I, so, I felt like it was going to be very manipulative going in. I was, I was pretty scared of this. Yeah, I was like, this for is, sure. This is, I know this is going to be a tearjerker and yeah, I'll probably cry, but it's, but it's, it's going to be manipulation and you know, that's not, I mean, they kind I, of, I don't appreciate that generally speaking in film. And, and it really, I mean, you, you, it hits you a few times for sure. There's there's a few scenes that are always going to stick in my mind. I actually can't wait to rewatch it eventually here, but it's, but like, I mean, the way that those the way that those are filmed, and especially when like, when she breaks the fourth wall at one point, like, it's just it's just incredible filmmaking, and it's it's very subdued, but but just just beautiful. So I actually went to go see this with John in theaters. Oh. Uh, it did not make my top ten, but it is. At the t- towards uh, at the top of my honorable mentions list, I have five in my honorable mentions. Um, there's some discussion. I I don't think John had ever heard these rumors that Mr. Rogers was a sniper. Oh, ever? there's all sorts of weird. All sorts of he's like he, But he that's had, what I love. They let him be weird. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you have those moments where you're like, "Is he really making the tiger talk to the adult?" Yeah, that, one, that was a strange scene. And, like, there's also rumors, like, he had, like, tattoos. Like, he had, like, yeah, sleeve tattoos. And, like, that's why he wore the sweaters and the long yeah. sleeves. And, like, I I, I grew up, like, legend. hearing those rumors. Yeah. And John never heard them. And I was, like, after the film came out, like, this year, or not last year, uh, I actually got on Google. I was, like, are these real? Like, uh, I, yep. I, I Have you seen the, the documentary? I haven't seen the documentary yet. You guys, if you haven't seen the documentary, yeah. it's, it's yeah. great, too. I, it's, and it's, it's more about Mr. Rogers... Whereas this movie is about Mr. Rogers' effect on people. Yeah. I'm pretty just, sure it was on my top ten list the previous year. And, I mean, just having having seen and loved that, that was basically my introduction to Mr. Rogers. I knew who he was, but I'd really never seen any material. And that made me just... I just, I, I just know, wanted to save some people from the rabbit hole that, that oh, went yes. down. So <laughs> He's not. None, none of the rumors are true. He was never a sniper. He didn't have sleeve tattoos. Just don't even go research it. Just take my word for it. That up, though. I was I was enjoying just picturing this. <laughs> I'm sorry to ruin it for everyone. Picturing him with well, his little tigers so out. I, I like a good rabbit hole, which is why my number eight film is one that I think I'm more into the rabbit hole that it is going to send me down than the movie itself, which is the documentary Honeyland. Uh, it is shot in Macedonia, and it's. It's about a woman, like you would never see a woman like this in a feature film. She's older and she lives alone with her mother on this kind of very spare farm with no electricity, mm-hmm. contemporary. It doesn't seem like even a bathroom. Yeah, I mean, I don't it's, think so. it's sparse. Yeah. And she is a beekeeper and she has her hives. They're very kind of organic in how they're set up. She lives off the land in a very overt way and just kind of goes into the city and sells her honey to keep going with with her and her mom. And I thought I would hate this. I really did. But I was just like, how did you find this woman in the middle of nowhere? And did you know that, you know, at some point she does have neighbors come into this very remote space and wreak a lot of havoc? Like, did the filmmakers know? And then I was listening to an interview about it. The filmmakers didn't even speak. Turkish, so they didn't even know what people were saying as they shot it, which is bananas it is. to me. <laughs> so it's like, I appreciate how much it piqued my curiosity and how much I want to go find out more about a story that, like, if you didn't know it was a documentary, you might think it was like 
a, a film, like a parable kind of short film even, because it is on the shorter side, but it's it de- stuck with me. It's definitely a subject that maybe none of us are going to read the synopsis and say, oh, yeah, we're really interested in this. Macedonian's beekeepers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sign that's, me that's up. the theater. But, but, you know, I mean, first of all, in narrative forms, which is which harkens back to your question of, like, what do the filmmakers know going in? I think there are a few questions in regards to this film because it does become, it becomes a little bit too narrative driven that, you know, it's not natural for a documentary like this. And at the same time, hey, I appreciate that. I know you appreciate that. And, and I think it makes, I think it makes for a more interesting watch, especially when we're dealing with an overall subject matter that maybe we're not drawn to. But, you know, it, it just... It reminds me of Catfish in that way where sure. there's the product, the film that I enjoyed, and then there's all the questions sure. that you this, and your friends can ask yeah, yourself this, this about like the veracity of everything. I haven't known Jessica very long, but I will say this. From what I do know about you, I was very surprised that you did like this film because nothing happened. I like was the struggling first... to find ten books! Uh, <laughs> nothing <laughs> happened for like the first half of this movie. I know. Uh, don't say you're struggling too much because you actually enjoyed this even more than me, although I, I liked it. This, but... is, this film didn't make any of my list. I didn't... It wasn't, it. it wasn't overrated, yeah. it wasn't underrated, it was just a yeah. thing you so, saw yeah. and yeah. you forgot. Yep. Um, yeah, like I said, I think I just was so enamored with... Because uh, at first I was like, this is this is boring, that's a nice yellow top, I wish I could pull it <laughs> off. And then I like I got sucked in, and by the end I had so many more questions than I did going in, and I think that thought-provoking piece of it made it work for me. It's, it's a relatively short watch, and... and... I mean, I don't want to say it's an easy watch with this subject matter because, you know, I can easily see people being fairly bored. But there's also some harrowing, harrowing material in there. There's, especially, <laughs> there's especially if you're... Kids uh, <laughs> stung by things. Oh, yeah, it's then. like a Little Rascals episode. Exactly. They just run around neighbors. on their own. And uh, the animals, you know, the animals go through some hardships in here that are because of the despicable neighbors. Mm-hmm. The neighbors are the worst. All right. Yes. So you're, you weren't a fan of mine. Then what is your number eight that you were a fan of? Uh, my number eight was Ford versus Ferrari, which follows Ford versus Ferrari, and uh, I don't even know what kind of racing that is. Like Formula, no, it's not. It's Formula not. It's not one. Formula One. I don't even no. like. I, I actually, you know I knew so little about this, and I was like, twenty-four yeah. hours. How do you drive for twenty-four hours? Like, I had no idea it lasted a day. It, I didn't no, really know I, about Le Mans as yeah. a race. It, I think it might be called like a Grand. Pre? Tour, like Grand Prix, maybe Grand Prix, Grand Tour. I'm not sure. You what can kind tell, of like, this even is. if you don't know about yeah. racing, exactly. it's a it good movie. It is a good movie, yes. I've never been into racing at all myself, but I loved this movie. I, I, I thought the the direction was great, the performances were great. Christian Bale and Matt yeah. Damon, I mean, they're at the they're at the top of their game. Uh, Noah Juppé is is one of our best uh, young actors. Yeah. He's great. I mean, the whole cast is great. And um, Tracy it's, Letts, especially. Yes. Let's not forget the great Tracy Letts. It's directed but, by James Mangold, who. Uh, did he's films. kind of a journeyman, you know? You never yeah. really say to yourself, well, he's great. <laughs> like, I, I thought Logan was probably the best movie of Wolverine, yeah. which I, there I, are 500. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's yeah. like too many. That was definitely the best. I, I mean, like to walk the line, you know? Yeah, I did but too. Yeah, that's I never, it, I've never really, when I saw his name was who directed it, I was, I was simultaneously surprised and not surprised. That maybe it wasn't as marquee of a director name as I thought would be attached to a movie like this. But for me, it's on my list too. It's one of three that all three of us have on our, our top ten. Mm, okay. Farewell was one. Ford vs. Ferrari is the second. It's my number four. Because I think just as a journeyman director, James Mangold just knows how to technically make a movie really, really well. 
because this was one I am a running time snob. If I see something's two and a half hours long, I really grit my teeth going in. This was a fast two it and a half hours. It flew by, and I mean, like faster than a race car flew by <laughs> because <laughs> it is it's it's like almost Ford factory level efficiency at how they introduce plot points and they bring things back up and they just hit the beats you need to hit. To set up what's kind of a funny, like, it's a funny yeah. underdog story when you think about it. Like, big old Ford taking on little bitty Ferrari so, I mean, where you're a, like, go Ford! It's a classic Hollywood tale in that sense. It's also got, it also works when, when they uh, try to employ some humor. The drama's great. The action scenes are incredible. Like, I, honestly, I've never been into racing movies at all. I've never even seen Days of Thunder and a couple wow. of the other classics that people you're seem to love. South? But I just don't, I don't. That's crazy. Now, you know, from the I'm a little more of a snob. And I'm, He's eight, I'm four. Where I'm was six, right, oh. in, right in between. But, you know, f as far as, like, a really, I mean, I think this is by far my number one real, like, popcorn picture mainstream, but it's it's so much better than that. And, and you know, that's why I was that's why I was impressed with it. I, I could see this working for everybody. Uh, it's, you know, it's been called a bro movie or a dad movie a little bit, but, hmm. but I, I get the dad movie thing, it's though, where it's like if you want a movie that you have a large group of people and you need to appease them. Yeah. This is something that I think does appeal to everybody. Like, I would not be like, everyone should go out and see Honeyland. That's <laughs> yeah, not... Yeah. But this is one I'm like, yeah, pretty much anybody's going to like this movie. I'm surprised that you made it out of the South without seeing Days of Thunder. <laughs> I, I was sheltered as a kid. What can I tell you? I... I wow. My wow. 80s, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been catching up. <laughs> yeah. I've been gradually catching NASCAR. up as best as I can. But, you know, I, didn't, I never saw Goonies growing up. I mean, you know, like, I, I wasn't yeah. shown movies as a kid. Okay. Certainly not. Or Mr. Rogers. Know, I, may have, I saw wow. a few animated ones Got here and there, maybe from that. Star Wars, but... Filth. You know, <laughs> sure. Okay, well, you know, with that in mind, your number eight is... Well, my number eight is definitely not a mainstream uh, crowd pleaser slash... Take anybody to this movie. It is For Sama. Uh, it is a documentary um, about the struggles in Syria these days, which obviously goes without saying are just absolutely harrowing, absolutely graphic, just incredibly graphic uh, as need be to to get the actual to get the true story out there. So it's a documentary. Sama is is the uh, daughter of of a couple that we meet at the start of the film, and basically they are they are doctor. I forget if they're both doctors, to be honest, at this point. Mm. But, but she's a journalist. She's a journalist. That's right. He's a doctor, and and they're just kind of they're still in their town in Syria, uh, taking care of people, even despite the war around them. Uh, you you see you see a lot of war, but you don't you know you, it's not a it's not a war documentary. It's more just taking care of people, and then their struggles to eventually get out of the get out of the Syria, and and just just you you know. There's just so many images that you'll you'll never forget in this, and I've I've seen like probably four or five documentaries on on everything going on over there mm -hmm. in the last couple of years, and this was by far the best one. So, this, this... as someone who didn't see it yet, like what makes it stand? I think part of it. This is such a white person problem thing to say. I realize going in, but like, it's it's rough to sit through what's going on in Syria <laughs> over and over again in a movie. That I think that's why I didn't rush out to see it. Like, what makes it different it is, and sets it, is it apart? It's rough, but if you haven't seen any of the ones in the last few years, such uh, Last Man in Aleppo. I mean, I don't know. There's there's four or five. Yeah, I've got seen a couple, playing. and I'm just like. Whew. But this this is the this is the one to see if you haven't seen any. And if you have seen some, well, this is still the one you need to see. I mean, you're, you're gonna get you're gonna get a few images that just that that definitely will stick in your mind probably forever and. Not, but 
you know, it's not just about that. It's about the emotional connection we get with the characters. It's about, it's about just, just really seeing things from a perspective that we're not used to. And not, not just because it's Syria, but, but this, this journalist is able to access things in a way that, you know, and it's just basically, I forget if she filmed it on her just iPhone or things like this, but, but it's very, it's very intimate in a way that, you know, other filmmakers being brought in to do this sort of thing aren't going to be able to. It is at the top yeah. of my honorable mentions list. It it's was, the bubble. It was, it was great. Catch up with this it is tragic. Um, there are a lot of scenes that we don't see here in America. I mean, we don't have missiles going off in our cities. Uh, uh, it's, I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy to think about that. Like, I mean, what if you're driving, I mean, just driving to work and somebody drops a bomb out of a helicopter. I mean, it's just, just crazy. It's like, honestly, it's just crimes against humanity. You're just looking at crimes against humanity. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's heartbreaking. It, it's terribly heartbreaking. It's certainly, it's by far the most heartbreaking film on this list. And I mean, certainly one of the most I've seen in many years. And, and there's really no getting around that. I mean, it's not, and that's not something that, you know, that's not something that most people maybe listening to this are going to say, oh, heartbreaking, yes, I want to go out and see that. But, but man, I mean, there, there's some things that are, that are just worth it, and, and you, you should, not only should you do it just for your, to, for your, to further your education in the matter, but just to, just the actual filmmaking is, is yeah. phenomenal. So. There's, a, there's a part in the, where she narrates, she films it and narrates it, and yes. there's a point where she says after having Sama that she hopes that Sama can forgive her for bringing her into this world because yeah, uh, that's the only world that they know. They don't want to leave Aleppo because it's their home and it's being bombed and just destroyed. And that, that was, that may have been the number one heartbreaking moment of the year for me, like or yeah. that line at least. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, so let's uh, move on. I guess we've already. Well, so my next oh. one, my number seven, is also kind of about a child in a very war-torn place, uh, which has its heartbreaking moments, but also has just delightfully hilarious moments, and that is yeah. Jojo Rabbit. And I think um, one of our friends slash fans had something to say about this movie as well. Hi, this is Sean from Las Vegas to talk about my pick for movie of the year. It doesn't seem controversial to say that this was legitimately one of the best ever years for movies. It was definitely in the top five. Uh, but I have two picks. One for the movie that I think should win the Oscar, and one for the movie that I think I wish would win. I think 1917 should win. It was the best war movie I've ever seen in my life. My jaw was on the floor the entire time. I was captivated by how beautiful and engrossing it was. If it doesn't at least win for Best Director in Cinematography, I think it's fair to say that it was robbed. And to be fair, I was very happy when Birdman won as well, so maybe I'm just really into the one-shot style for movies. Now, the movie I wish would win is Jojo Rabbit. It was original, it made me laugh so hard that I cried, and I thought the acting was phenomenal. And yet, despite being an amazing comedy, it also somehow managed to make me feel deeply sorry and shed some tears. So those are my two choices. That's Sean talking a little bit about 1917, which, you know, may come up pretty soon. And also Jojo Rabbit, his personal favorite of the year. And Jojo Rabbit came in at number seven for me. Uh, it was the first movie of 2019 that I saw in the theaters, and I was like, oh, finally something I like. Yay! Um, it's from director Taika Waititi. Most of you probably know him from directing Thor Ragnarok. Um, but, you know, he also did... What We Do in the Shadows, uh, Boy, 
which is uh, produced in his native New Zealand. Hunt for the Wilder people also mm. out there. He yeah. has got just a wacky sensibility, and I love wacky, you know? And so I just eat up every... After seeing Thor Ragnarok, I was like, I am picking up whatever this guy's putting down. And when you tell me that he made a World War II movie about a little boy who whose imaginary friend is Hitler, yeah. I was just like... <laughs> in yeah soul and do i think he executed the premise to the level that it could have been no i think it's it's got its flaws i think there's a very abrupt tonal shift in this movie um about two-thirds of the way through that maybe we weren't set up for to full i uh, the i one think involving the shoes yes the shoes um, I think you guys probably had a stronger reaction to it than I did. I was I was very taken aback by it, but I was also just like, this is really jarring. Yeah. Um, that it took me out of the movie a little bit. But because it aspired to do so much and it went so big with so much enthusiasm, I forgave it for a lot of, of flaws that I wouldn't necessarily be as forgiving about in something else. I think that jarring moment was something that made me like it even more. Um, I really enjoyed the comedy in this movie, especially the conversations between the boy that it's the main character with, with yeah, with uh, his imaginary friend Adolf Hitler. I thought that the uh, dialogue between those two was fantastic. Well, it was you hilarious. You have it higher than me, right? You do I have do. it on your top. I time. do. It's on my uh, top five. Actually, it's number five. Uh, John. Well, you... it was. It's one of my honorable mentions, but not just that. But it's my number eleven. So. Hmm. Yeah, I love JoJo also. I thought it was one of the funniest films of the year. And obviously it's controversial, which, you know, scares me a little bit going into it. How am I really going to feel about all this? But, right. I mean, I think he really just nails this. Uh, I can I can see how some people wouldn't like it, but I can also see it easily being somebody like Sean's favorite of the year. It like And I, it's actually really emotional, too. I thought when, he, when yeah. he goes for drama, which obviously we've got a lot going on here and setting in the World War II and everything, and I'm... Um, when he really goes for those notes, he nails it. Uh, I certainly cried at this. I also howled probably just about the loudest I, I did all year during uh, a couple of the scenes, especially involving uh, the two young actors, not just Roman Griffin Davis, but... Uh, Archie Yates. Archie Yates, yeah, playing his playing his friend in it is, is phenomenal as well. It just yeah. really like hits some just wonderful one-liners. So I don't, I don't even think that uh, Taikiti was like playing Hitler was, even though that's where a lot of the comedy stems from to begin mm -hmm. with, I don't think that he was the funniest part of the movie at all. But anyway, no. that's so much of it. There works are a lot of great performances in there. I am not a Scarlett Johansson fan. Yeah, we have In even general, her I don't like her in movies. And I thought she was just so delightful and irreverent mm -hmm. and charming in this movie in a way that I'd never seen her perform before. And then I think Sam Rockwell is on a hell of a heater he with movies these days. And yeah, this is another sure. one where I'm just like, this guy is so <laughs> good. It's like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm glad I'm glad you feel this way about Sam because this is the way you should be feeling about ScarJo too, of course, because because she's become a phenomenal actress in the last few years, and and Sam has been for a long time and is really standing out lately in so many great sporting roles. But ScarJo really nails it in this. I mean, there's there's a much discussed scene where she where she uh, puts on a mustache and. You know, her her husband, the kid's father, is away mm -hmm. is away at war. We really don't. I don't believe you're not even sure him. if he's alive. I think. Yeah, we don't really hear from him. I think the whole film, but from memory. But um, but she. We find out later what's okay. going on. I'm not going to spoil yeah, it, but well, we. I, I, it sure, is but it is revealed. But I don't think that's one of the most important points. But the point is that that uh, when when she just basically takes this moment and has to become him, 
and and place both herself and yeah. and her husband in in a just that was a dramatic scene in a very dramatic scene that kind of I won't say it comes out of nowhere. There's plenty of drama in the film, but this is the yeah. one that really right. starts to you realize there's something a lot more here. Right. And I mean, she's phenomenal in it. Uh, I believe she was nominated for best supporting actress. Yeah, she's a uh, one of the. She's got two this year, and yes, for Marriage but... Story, which didn't make my top ten, but is one we're going to get to you guys shortly, I think. Um, but first. Bo's going to tell us his number seven, but we're not going to talk about it because he has it woefully underranked and we need to save up yeah. what we have this to say about weird. it. Number seven, Bo, really? What is your number seven? Number seven is 1917. I'm sorry affair. that I Like the so... seventh best film you've ever <laughs> <I'm>... seen? No. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I've offended you both. 1917. Um, give us your number seven-ish thoughts. <laughs> uh, numbers... So, 1917 is a, a movie. Is it based in World War One? Yes. World War One. Yes. Okay. World War One. This is a bad in, start in if you're trenches. not sure which war it is. But I, okay. I was pretty sure it was. I mean, when you think of trench warfare, you think of World War One. Okay. Uh, it follows two soldiers from the beginning, uh, and they have to deliver a message from their camp, and they have to carry it. I'm not so sure how many miles across France to... Long enough. Yeah. Long enough. Uh, yeah, so long. A war zone yeah. That, yeah. A- about, I'd say, two and a half hours is about the length of the journey. Because <laughs> it's, it's one shot. That's the whole conceit. You follow them yeah. on literally every step of the way. To another camp to deliver a message that they need to... Can't not cancel, but uh, what was the... Call off the troops, call basically, out, yeah, call in, the a, troops in a battle. To... They're being led into yeah, a trap. Yeah, a trap, yeah. Right, they're being led into an ambush because communications are down and there's no, you know, that camp thinks that, thinks, hey, they've got the Germans on the run. Yeah. yeah. But, and we know, can go into more of it yeah. later. Yeah. Just like, in a nutshell, why, what what didn't you like about it that set it back for you? It's not that I didn't like it, it's in my top ten. I liked everything in my top ten. I guess I'm just hey, like, oh, great, six, but, it's mediocre. Yeah, still, I liked... This is not high enough, Bo. So, I, so I liked my 61 even better. I yeah, just, give, give us one you just liked the other movies better? I, I liked them all better. Negatives, why this is not just like one of the most brilliant war films you've ever the seen. The problem is there's not a lot of negatives. Uh, I thought the film was beautifully shot. Um, oh, the, the sorry, score, folks, we might need to pause this for a minute while Bo rewrites, rewrites his own no, top ten. No, not, not rewriting my top ten. Okay, okay. I, I, I'm fine with you just liked other movies better. I did. That's fine. Hey, it was it was a phenomenal it, year. It so, honestly was. One, yeah, uh, your John, your number seven is one that didn't make my top ten. Not because it was bad. I just liked other movies better. I'm actually surprised. I mean, I know I don't know your film taste perfectly, but I feel like Little Women, uh, based on a based on a novel uh, directed by a phenomenal director who's just kind of come on the scene the last few years, Greta Gerwig, of course, from her acting before this. Uh, she, I mean, Little Women. I knew nothing about this going in. I'd never seen any of the films. Maybe maybe this is one of your problems with it. I don't know. I think, but I, I think you're going to hit exactly on what it is, but mm-hmm. continue. I mean, and, and to be honest, I can't really describe the narrative too well here, but, and, and some of that is because that's that's one of the flaws of it, I think, is it's a little bit overcomplicated in that with, the, with going back and forth through various timelines. However, it is just, it is just beautifully acted the whole way through. It's wonderfully written. Um... You, you come to know every one of these little women in, 
in various ways that just like that that melt your heart every single one of them and there, there's there's four i believe there's four yeah, daughters the, 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 the story as someone who yeah. has seen let's, let's let just four of these that. six little women adaptations that is a lot of adaptations um i've seen the Catherine hepburn one from the 30s the june allison one from the 50s the 94 one with winona Ryder, and now this one it's it's not my favorite Little Women. And so I think that's what's kind of holding it back, is that to me, the Gillian Armstrong 1994 version is the one that it tells, it, it kind of plays it down the middle, it plays it straight. It doesn't do the manipulation with time that, that Little sure. Women, the Gerwig version does. So, I mean, I, I was pleased to see this Little Woman and see a different version of it, because to be honest, the other three kind of hit the same beats at the same time. Um, but I think it's just, I revered the 94 one so much, it's very hard to stand up to that. I think there were a couple of, everyone loves the casting. I thought there were a couple of casting issues in this. I think Timothy Chalamet is just a little too young and a little too, you know, teenagery in how he feels to be Laurie over all these years, because... I guess maybe from seeing other adaptations and reading the book, you you had yeah. It just he didn't work as Laurie. He had moments where he was fan. He the performance is good from Chalamet. He doesn't work as a Laurie for me. And my other big issue is most of these other movies, the youngest daughter Amy is played by two different people because it's very hard to play someone who starts at thirteen and ends at twenty. And I found Florence Pugh trying to play a thirteen-year-old extremely distracting. And kind of awful. This is part of my issue with with the whole timeline switch. I mean, just just going back and forth between the different ones and having the same actors pretty much look identical. And Their you know, and thirteen. I was like, Can't are we really tell? playing? I didn't realize. Are we really playing thirteen here? Yeah, is she's this playing what thirteen. Any of these actresses and it's are weird. going for it. Seems it just seems way convoluted and and. I don't know that that it took me out of it a little bit, but definitely not enough to still love it in the end. I mean, so I'm a John here. Uh, you read the book though, right? No, I thought you read the book. Okay, well, I never read the book. I didn't see. So any this of it. is both of your first, first engagements uh, yes, with Little first Women. First experience at all. That's with Little Women. First one, first experience at all. Uh, didn't see any of the adaptations you saw previously. Um, this movie just hit an emotional chord with me. I cried in this movie, and I don't cry in movies. Uh, there's just a lot of scenes that connect. I connect with, and now I want to see all the other adaptations of um, Little Women. So this is kind of where you get mad at us for having it too low, then, because where no, does, where I, is it on your list? I, I don't this judge. Is, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> num- I see this at number two. It is list, number bro. two on my list. That is quite high in this phenomenal year. Uh, yeah. So this, this whole this whole crying yeah. and, and it just really hitting you on these emotional levels. I mean, that's I think, right. I think that's what you're maybe that's what you're looking for. In movies. Is it the I, Beth stuff or is it something else? It's a combination of things. There's a scene in the movie where, um, I don't remember, is it Joe? Is she the one that marries like the poor? No, that's... Um, no, Joe's the one, the redhead, right? Meg is the one who marries okay. the poor Well, guy. there's a part in there where Meg, like, she doesn't even buy a dress. She buys some fabric to make a dress for like $50, which was a lot of money back then. Uh, and he says this line, I'm sorry that you've never had nice things. And I'm sorry you married a man that can't afford to give you nice things. And when my wife and I got married, we were kind of in that same situation, and it just hit a chord. And I just bawled like a baby. <laughs> I, can def- I can definitely see that when, when films actually hit you on a level that's yeah. you know very personal and you know that, that can do it in spots and, and will do it. For there was at least it's, it's it's that line was still yeah. great to me, of course. But yeah, yeah. There was at least one or two other scenes like that that just hit me. So. Yeah. 
But the, there's there's phenomenal lines throughout this. Uh, I think Greta Ger- Gerwig uh, wrote this on her own, obviously adapting it. But but I believe she. Yeah, solo writing. And, and there's credit, a lot. There's a lot of uh, meta elements to the strip to the script yeah. that are new in this version compared to others. And and frankly, some of that stuff scared me. Plus the whole timeline. Yeah. But I, but at the same time, I thought she again nailed all that stuff and really made it. What is different that I love is that there's kind of this whole story about like what it is to be a writer and and how to write and how to create. And mm-hmm. I really responded to a lot of that, including realizing that my writing outfit is basically the same as what Joe wears in that. It's like wool socks and a big baggy <laughs> sweater. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I get why you're dressed like this. <laughs> but yes, I, I understand speaking something something speaking to you so personally right. we covered it already but my number six is beautiful day in the neighborhood for a lot of the same reasons that it just you know hit a chord mm-hmm. and that's where the ugly crying <laughs> began that's beautiful day in the neighborhood is uh, on my honorable mentions list i think it's number three now i have a feeling you cried in your number six movie too but i'm just guessing uh marriage story um a little yes <laughs> It was a cry year for cinema. <laughs> it was. Uh, I've never been through a divorce, thankfully. Uh, I hope I never have to. But my parents got divorced when I was in kindergarten, so I've been a child of divorce, and I've seen firsthand a lot of the things that they portray in this film. Uh, how one parent will like, kind of manipulate the child to liking them better. Like, there's a little bit of that. It's not heavy-handed, oh, yeah. but it's there. Um, and I just thought that they did a fantastic job of catching, uh, portraying all the elements of what a family goes through during a divorce. So I hear you. Terrible I've been, time with that. Like, I haven't been married, so I certainly haven't been divorced, yeah. but, I've, but I've been in relationships with, with uh, two women that have kids, and just, you know, seeing the interactions between, mm. between their exes and them and, just, and seeing certain manipulations and all this. I mean, it's a very common thing. And obviously that uh, Baumbach just portrays it beautifully here. Uh, Marriage Story is actually a lot higher on my list. Uh, I have it number three. Um, it's just a phenomenal year for uh, Netflix, especially. And, and this was the cream of the crop there. I, I think that uh, Noah Baumbach, who I've actually never been a fan of before, he's... he's what? I, I, I say never, but hey, I will, oh I will caveat that with that I rewatched Francis Ha after Marriage Story and That's loved it so much one. more. <laughs> right, I, I have, this is my first film by uh, Vanilla Bomba. disagree there. Uh, Margaret the Wedding, you enjoyed that one? I haven't seen that one, but okay, okay. Meyerowitz Stories and Squid and the Whale. Um, yeah, I haven't seen any of these. Squid was... and the Whale is so good. And Jeff Daniels as kind of this like asshole dab. Uh, I'm sorry, I do That's this. Okay. I bring up the old thing. <laughs> Talking about the, the 2019 thing. Continue. Well, Marriage Story just works on so many levels for me. I mean, it's, it's first of all, it has, well, spoiler alert, alert, it has my funniest film, my funniest scene of the year. And it's just absolutely, it may, maybe for some it might drag on a little bit too long in that scene, but it as it goes, it just had me like basically rolling on the floor. Oh, literally. this is the visit from yes, child the, services. the visit from the child services, <laughs> uh, culminating in like a knife, you know, situation. Yeah. Like not, you know, not a knife fight, but like a knife <laughs> trick. And yeah, things go awry, and it's just, it's just it, it, every every beat of that film of that scene was just done beautifully, especially by Adam Driver, who's quickly becoming one of my favorite actors. And of course, you have him starring along with Scarlett Johansson, who is. Mm-hmm. Like I've already said, proving herself to be so, so good these days. She's nominated here, and I, I wish she could win for this. doesn't look like it will happen. 
But um, I mean, Marriage Story, like, just the from the opening, from the opening where where we just like learn about each of these characters through as as it's revealed a couple minutes into the film, is, is that they're like reading letters to to like a divorce lawyer and they're reading letters they've written about the other one. And that, that, that kind of sets up the whole thing beautifully. We get to know these characters so well through this. And we see, I mean, we're engaged emotionally. We find humor in certain situations. And I mean, this is, this is one of those screenplays that's just, I, I, would, I would sit here and read this as a book over and over. I mean, it's just, it's brilliantly. Fonwalk's such a fantastic writer, and that's always kind of been his calling yeah, card. Yeah, it's definitely is, his calling card. But His screenplays. But. And I, I saw it. I liked it. I, w- I thought I would connect. When you tell me that Adam Driver's going to sing Being Alive from Company, the musical theater nerd in me is like, yes. <laughs> and then I saw it, and I was like, why do I, am I not responding to this the way I'm supposed to? I, hear, I didn't respond well to the to the. You know, there's there's two songs, Scarlet. They're both Sondheim Adam, too. Adam, Adam does nerds. one both at the end of the film, and I mean, it, it's kind of it's kind of a little bit of a jarring thing. It, it's it's not really hinted at anywhere. It it just kind of comes out of nowhere, and maybe it works. It work, seems to work for some people, especially Adam's song, from what I've heard. But I that kind of pulled me out, honestly. Without those, I may have that may have been taking it down from. From a perfect score to me. Like, That's a, another like one 10, of those interesting ones where, like, you guys not knowing Little Women, I, like, the idea of it on paper works for me, that you're going to have these two very different Stephen Sondheim songs, one of which is, like, Being Alive is, like, one of those canonical musical theater numbers, but just something about this whole movie. There was just, like, a like a transparent little shield up between me and it, and I just couldn't fully engage in it the way I knew I needed to. I could see some of that. It does it doesn't always flow perfectly well and, and there's I mean, you're going back and forth between New York and LA and there's a lot of contrast there that are that are really well done, but I can also see how some of this I mean just and, and, and the mix of comedy and drama doesn't necessarily yeah. always flow that perfectly for you. But hey, it worked for me and, and like there's a there's a letter reading scene late in the film that just like again just had me absolutely devastated. Uh, I think it's just phenomenally well acted by both by Scarlett in the background and Driver reading the, the letter. I mean, both of them just hit these notes. That, and Adam uses his face in just ways that I've I've really just come to respect him. I've seen him do this in a couple films lately. That 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 I just I'm realizing that my first thoughts on him I don't know five or ten years ago I, I felt like he was I didn't understand why anybody really liked the weird him, so guy. You're the weird <laughs> yeah. guy on Girls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never saw that, but I mean, I saw him in plenty of films that I was just like, I just don't get this. He's taking me out of the movie a little bit. But these days, he's one of the first first names I look for in one. Hmm. So my number six, uh, Ford vs. Ferrari, we've actually already discussed. Um, we're going we're gonna to take a little break here, and let's recap our ten through six. And we will get to uh, five through one in our part two. Okay. So what is your number ten, Bo? Uh, ten was Dark Waters. Nine was The Farewell. Eight was Ford vs. Ferrari. Seven was 1917, and six was Marriage Story. And mine, we I started out, number 10 was Toy Story 4. Number nine was also The Farewell. Number eight was Honeyland. Number seven was Jojo Rabbit. And number six was Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And I had The Farewell at number 10, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood at nine, For Sama at eight, Little Women at seven, and Ford vs. Ferrari at six. All right. Be sure to check back in for part two of this where we get down to the nitty gritty and do our top five of 2019.